morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank God that you're here. I don't know about you, but I am freezing to death. I've been freezing ever since I walked outside this morning. I haven't gotten warm yet, but but good to be here. Good to see everybody. And looking forward to tonight. Brother David's teaching was awesome. I didn't get a chance to tell you, but David, I really enjoyed that. So come back and hear him if you weren't here last week. It was a great lesson. So if you got your Bibles, it'll be a couple places, but mainly over in the book of Genesis, the 50th chapter. So if you want to go ahead and flip over there. I figure you're all, since the time has went forward, so normally it would only be, what, 10, 15? So nobody should be wanting lunch for a while. So I guess I can kind of take my time, right? Yeah, there we go. I want to talk about... Talk about legacy this morning, and you know what we leave. Missy was said there when she was talking after the song. You know what is my story, and that's the kind of when you, if you think about legacy, what is your story? Now we don't want to talk about legacy. Just you know the pure legal definition or meaning of legacy is just kind of the bequeathing of, of money or property. You know through a will or through probate or through some sort of a legal transition. You know from one person to another. But we, <clears throat> we want to look at it more in terms of the more figurative. Uh, there's a lot of things you can leave, leave behind. Ran across a good story about legacy. There was a, a, a fam, the Smith family, and they were a proud family because they could trace their legacy all the way back to England. They could trace their legacy back to where some of their... Um, some of their ancestors came across the May, on the Mayflower, and they had had some business owners, some Wall Street wizards. They had had a couple uh, congressmen, and so they were putting a book together to cover the Smith family legacy. Now, the problem was Wild Uncle George. Everybody has a Wild Uncle George. This Smith family had a Wild Uncle George who had actually been a pretty bad guy and actually had been put to death in the electric chair. So they figured out, how can, we, how can we cover George in this book and still not stain our legacy? So the writer said, no problem. I can take care of it. So when they got the book, here's what it said. Uncle George Smith held a, the seat of applied electronics at an important government firm. <laughs> He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties. And when death came, it was a great shock. <laughs> so the hope is, you should have laughed more than that. What is wrong with you? <laughs> so the hope is that you, when you tell your story or when somebody tells your story, they don't have to spin it in such a way that it almost you know, turns into a falsehood. You want to leave a legacy that you know, people can just say the words and they'll tell you what it is. Been thinking a lot about legacy, um, even over the last few months or so. Um, different people at work retiring, you know, the vision someday there for me as well. Um, then with Brother James passing away, you know, and having going to his visitation last week, I was thinking about legacy and the, you know how all the things he's done and people he's impacted over his life, and and then I also remember. I don't know if any of you ever read, I was always, especially when I first started running, I always read a book by George Sheehan. He, read a, he wrote a lot of stuff. He actually ended up dying of cancer, and through, his whole, through the whole process, he kept a, an incredible journal, and they published it. And he was talking about how when he was, where he lived, where he run, he would hear a bell tower ring. 
And he said he could always tell his pace, you know, of where he was at, if he was doing good or bad that day by when the chime went off on the bell. And then after he was bedridden and struck to where he couldn't run anymore, he, would, he could steer, still hear the bell. And in one of his comments, he said, I keep wondering when is the last time I will hear that bell? And even, you know, I always, I've ran with my dogs for years. They haven't been able to run for the last couple. Kirby's probably on his last legs. And, you know, I, he was able to walk with him the other day. And I kept thinking, you know, I wonder if that's the last time that he's made our usual route. So I want, you to, I want you to think about it for a minute. We never know when the last time is we're going to hear that bell. We never know when the last time is we're going to make that round. We never know when the last time is we're going to be with that group of people. So we need to be present. We need to be aware. We need to be thankful. I love what Sister Debbie said. Just thankful to be able to be here. Mm-hmm. We all ought to be. Because you might not, you never know if you'll make it again. We should be thankful and make the most of the opportunities we have. And if you're here this morning as we're talking about legacy, Bobby's been preaching his heart out and doing a wonderful job. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you may never have another opportunity. So I want you to think about that and pay attention and make that make things right because that's the best legacy that you can ever leave, you see. So what legacy are you leaving behind? What, that's what I want you to think about. Are you, if you're living to fulfill God's dream for your life, the good news is, brothers and sisters, that when you die, if you, in other words, God's got a dream for your life, and it's not just for you. That dream impacts a lot of people. And the good news is, when you're living that way and following God, when you die, your dream goes on. You know, I thought about that too because, you know, again, thinking about, I was reading a little bit too over the last few weeks a little bit about the history of the church as we, you know, we were able to pay off the, the thing over there and I went back and was kind of reading the history and the story. We're all here, sitting here in this building because people had a generational dream to follow God and have a place where people could hear the gospel and be born again. That's why we're here. And that's a pretty awesome thing too. And what part do you have in that? So if you've got your Bibles in the 50th chapter of the book of Genesis, I want to read here a little bit about Joseph in the, just the last few verses of the, of the chapter, starting at verse 22. Actually, before I read that, let me go flip over to Hebrews and read the 11th. Just, you don't have to flip to Hebrews. 11th chapter of Hebrews, verse 22, says, By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the, of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. And that ties right into this. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, I want you to think for a minute why... 
as Joseph is dying, as he's getting close to the time when he's going to take his last breath, why in the world would he make his... I don't know if he had any, if his sons were still alive. Maybe, maybe they were. Certainly he had some grandchildren there. Maybe but his sons too. Why did he tell them and make them swear that, hey, someday God will visit you in this place. And when he does, you promise me that you're going to take my bones up out of here and carry them to the promised land. Why would he, why would he do that? Well, you have to go right back into the middle of Genesis. In the, I think it's around the 15th chapter. When God was speaking to Abraham, you know, he talked about the land um, that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was speaking to Abraham there in the promised land. And he's told, he told Abraham, look this way, look that way, look this way. All this land is yours and to your descendants. He said, but... Your people will spend 400 years in a strange land, but God will visit them and bring them out of that place and return them here. Now, the good news, brothers and sisters, is Joseph knew that promise. You know, you think, if you think about it, why we come here week after week, why we preach the gospel, why we preach Christ crucified, it's important that every single one of you know that promise. That God will visit here and one of these days he's going to take us out of this place and we're going to be with him in heaven. It's important that that gets passed down generation after generation after generation because it is the gospel and it is the truth. And we've got to keep perpetuating it. We've got to keep passing it on. It's worth everything we do, brothers and sisters. It's worth every effort to get up and be here. It's worth turning the lights on. It's worth keeping the place clean. It's worth everything we do so that at some point, even if it's 50 more years from now, somebody can hear the gospel in this place. And that it's passed on and on and on. Joseph knew that promise, you see. That's a good thing. And he wanted to make sure... That his children and his grandchildren knew that promise and didn't forget about it. Now, the other thing, so Joseph, no, Joseph knew the promise. Joseph also knew that Egypt was that country because of his dreams. You know, if you think about it, I think it was around the age of 17 when Joseph ended up going to Egypt. He's now 110, it says there, when he died. So 93 years he's been in Egypt. So there's still another 300 years. So to say, to, to say this, this was, this was a kind of an uncommon thing. That, that when his grandchildren and children first heard, they're, they're probably thinking, what? Why would we ever want to leave Egypt? So again, first of all, there's still 300 more years to go. Second of all, why would, like I said, why would they want to leave Egypt? Why? Joseph was a rock star there. If you've forgotten who was the second in charge to Pharaoh, it was Joseph. Joseph had thousands of people under his command. Also, where the children of Israel. I like Bob's interactive preaching. I'm going to start that. The children of Israel in Egypt, where did they stay? Where were they put? What was the land called? Goshen. Goshen. They were in the land. Now, was that like a slime pit? No. That was like a fertile place near the river where it was probably some of the best land in Egypt. Why did they get that? Because of Joseph. So like I said, some of the kids are probably scratching their head. Why would we ever want to leave? This is a great place, Grandpa. What are you talking about? I don't want to leave Egypt. But brothers and sisters, that's what we also have to keep going and preaching about. 
Yeah, there's a lot of bad things going on in the world, but there's a lot of good things too in the world. Especially when you're young, man, this is a great place to be. There's fun and there's parties and there's friends and there's marriage and there's girls and there's guys or whatever it is. There's all kinds of good stuff. But I also want you to also remember, brothers and sisters, there's a whole lot better someday. And we've got to keep our eyes on our promised land, on our land that's flow with milk and honey. We've got to keep our eyes on a place called heaven, which is our ultimate goal. And where God's ultimate goal is for us to be too. I love this place. I, I hope I live to be 110 years if God will let me live that long. I don't, I'd love to be here that long. But you know what, brothers and sisters? When it's time to leave, I'm ready to go because there's a better place. And I'm thankful for it. So again, why, you know, why would they ever want to leave? As comfortable as you get here, brothers and sisters, don't forget, this is not home. This is a temporary dwelling place. I think Joseph was reminding them that, hey guys, you got it made here. Things are great now. But don't forget, this is not home. Joseph also knew that circumstances would change. And that's what I want to tell each and every one of you. You know, I bet if we went around, things are good for you, things are some people would say, things are really good for me right now. Oh, things are horrible for me right now. Circumstances change quickly. Joseph knew that circumstances would change. And it's not too much later on in the Bible where you read that a Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph. And he felt threatened by the Israelites. And that's when he started slowly turning them into slaves. You may be living it up and things may be great for you right now. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, circumstances can change quickly. You may think, why would I need God now? Why do I need church? Why do I need to think about salvation? Well, brothers and sisters, there's a time coming when you are going to need it. There's a time coming when that's going to be the most important thing that you have. In fact, there's a time coming when that's going to be the only thing that matters that you have. So circumstances can change quickly, and Joseph knew that. Now let's talk about generational dreams for a minute. The Bible's Bible's full of, of this legacy and dream stuff. They don't just affect us either. Those generational dreams, they affect our children. They affect our grandchildren, just like what Joseph did here. Now, there's a couple of different cases of generational dreams in the Bible. First of all, for Israel, there was two two big generational dreams. The promised land. Ultimately getting to the promised land. That was a big generational dream. And the second one was the coming of the Messiah. For us as Christians, still here today, there's two big generational dreams. The first one is the return of Christ. We're always supposed to be ready, having our lamps trimmed and burning. We're supposed to be looking for our Lord to come back. But we also have a second generational dream, brothers and sisters, which is the Great Commission where he said, go into all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them, discipling them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's our other dream. Again, that's partly why we're here. Because a group of people decided, figured, got a dream that God wanted them to start a church to where they could disciple people, where people could hear the gospel and be saved. That's why we're here, you see. So that's part of that generational dream. Also, and again, you don't have to flip over there. I've got my couple things here pegged. Over in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, quoting from Joel, it says, in the, in the last days... And it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophecy and your young men shall see visions and your young and your old men shall dream dreams. 
Now, I wonder why it says there, wonder why it says there that your young men shall see visions and your older men will dream dreams. Well, there's a couple thoughts for that. I, I've, I wondered that, and so I started looking about it. From what I can find, most scholars of the Bible and most people who are a lot smarter than I am have said that visions are something you accomplish in your life. A lot of times God will give you a vision. When we were at Limecrest, God gave some people a vision to build a church on this property. He gave people a vision to build this building over here. Those are things that you'll accomplish in your life. Dreams are things that go on for generations. You see, you might have a little part of it in your life, but it keeps going on and on. Yeah, I love, like I said, because again, I was looking over the the 20 original charter members. And I love, yeah, I love to, you, I I do like Bob. Sometimes I just like to sit around and think about people here. But I sometimes always like to sit back and look and think about people who used to be here too. And you know, every time I do that, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the people who used to be here because I I want to spend more time thinking about the people who are here now. But when I do that, you know what I think is, man, what if they could see us now? You know what they'd say? Thank God you're still going. Thank God the gospel's still being preached. And what else are you going to do in the future? You see, the problem with all of us is we want to get fat, dumb, and happy and sit back and say, we don't want to change a thing. Everything's wonderful the way it is. Brothers and sisters, we've got to keep marching on. We've got to keep going on so the dream continues and the mission continues and people, brothers and sisters, can still hear the gospel for years to come. There's a lot of work to do. What's your part? What is your part in it, you see? All of our lives may end, brothers and sisters, but your, the dream can go on, you see. Now here's another neat thing about generational dreams. God's dream for your life is not just about you. In fact, somebody says, God's got a dream for my life that He makes me rich and famous. That's not God's dream for your life. That's your dream for your life. God's dream for your life, well, it's, it's a corporate dream and it's about and involves others. It doesn't isolate you from people. It pulls you together with others. Why, brothers and sisters? Why do you think those 20 people gathered together? I don't think all 20 of them all of a sudden got a bright idea. Let's start a church. God gave that dream to a couple of them. Few others connected to that because that dream lit a fire in them, and before you know it, a church was started. God's dream brings us corporately together. It's just like when David was teaching the other night, and he talked about you know them gathering in the upper room, being in one mind and in one accord. A Honda, right, David? I love that. That was classic. But that's what it's about, brothers and sisters. It's about connecting. What is your part in God's dream? God's dream, brothers and sisters, that He put on some people, that He continues to put on people, is that this church goes forward and spreads the gospel and attracts people to come to know Him. What is your part in that? Have you caught, Do you come here just to sit and to be entertained or to hear a song? Do you come here because this is where my family's always come? Do you come here because somebody might think something if you don't? You ought to be coming here, brothers and sisters. And I hope and pray you've got a little fire in your belly and a little piece of the dream and you want to keep it going. 
I don't come here because my family came here. I don't come here because I like all of you. I come here because a long time ago, God showed me, you got a little part in that, Tony Everett, and keep it going. And brothers and sisters, you need to feel that connection. You need to feel that piece of it. You need to keep it going for others. It's all, and you know what? When people connect together around God's dream, it is amazing what can happen. It's amazing what can be done. Like I said, if the people from a long ago could see us now, they'd say it's amazing. God bless you. Boy, we couldn't have even dreamed what you're doing right now. And you know what I'm hoping and praying is? 40, 50 years from now, if we could all get a look at the church going on then, we could all say, man, I can't believe what you guys are doing. This is more than I ever thought possible. But it's because the people united and tried their best to follow what God had for them. How do you get, you know, your dreams fulfilled? Well, you focus on the end. Over in Isaiah, God tells us that He shows us the end from the beginning. We always want God to show us the next step. God shows us the big picture usually first. And then then He'll show us the next step. And you know what? The problem is that next step can seem totally contrary to what we want to do. Think about this. You know, where well, Moses was later on. God showed Moses, hey, you're the one. You're going to deliver the people out of, it, out of, out of Egypt. Seemed appropriate, didn't it? Because of all of Moses' position. But what the direct Moses ended up slaying somebody, ran to the backside of the desert, totally opposite direction. That next step sometimes seems totally contrary to what God wants us to what well wait a minute, God. You told him to deliver you told him to deliver Egypt. He was going to be the one to deliver them out of the Israelites out of Egypt. And now you you had to run him to the backside of the desert. Brothers and sisters, God may give you a vision and the direction your life's going or the direction life's taking you may seem totally contrary. Don't forget for a minute, God has not forgotten what He showed you. God has not forgotten what He's told you to do. And He'll, just like Moses, He'll bring you back to it at the appropriate time. You see. He'll call you right back to it and bring you, bring you into, into the theme. Psalm 90 talks about numbering our days. What are you doing with your life? You counting your days? You don't have that many. It goes by quickly. Or are you living foolishly? Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children. You know, if all I ever left my kids was a little money or a little property, that's a, that's a horrible father. But if I can leave them godliness, love, and some of that, that's worth everything. My grandpa, my grandma, and mom didn't leave me much of anything from a material standpoint, but the other stuff, the legacy they left me is priceless. Two quick little stories. Again, I've been thinking a lot about the last conversation I had with my grandpa. He was in the hospital and I was talking to him. It was Thursday or Friday night. He said, How you doing, son? I said, Okay, how are you? He said, I'm all right. That's all he would ever say. He said, well, you take care of the garden? He said, there might be some weeds in it. I'm like, oh, Lord. What else do I want to do? He said, don't forget to cut the grass. 
I said, I got it, Daddy. I'll do it. He said, and lastly, he said, if Mole wants to go to church Sunday, make sure you take her. I had a lot of, I had a couple open gyms I wanted to go to. Now, he died before Sunday got there. And she didn't want to go anyway. But I made up my mind that every Sunday after that, and if I was in town, I was going to take her to church. Best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened to me. Because me and her had some great conversations back and forth. And I remember when God, after, after I started preaching and God was heading to lead me down towards Zion, my mom was all up in arms saying, Tony, you're an idiot. Don't do that. Maul took me into her bedroom and she got a little plaque or some kind of a Bible that somebody gave her a little thing and she said, the one of those things that said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. She said, I think God wants you to go there. She said, you do it and God will take care of you. That's legacy, brothers and sisters. That's people who pray for you. That's a godly legacy. Are you leaving that and investing that in your kids? You might be laying up, oh, I've got life insurance and i got this and i got this set up for them and my house will go to them and my car will go to them. Who cares about all that nonsense? What are you leaving? Does that mean something? Your kids won't care anything about your house or your money or all that stuff one of these days. What they will remember is the love and guidance and direction and godliness you show them. And if you are not showing them that as a father or a mother, you are failing your kids. You might be the best parent as far as getting them educated. You might be the best parent as far as putting clothes on their back. You might be the best provider there is. But if you are not teaching your kids godliness, you are failing them. And God will deal with you. So get into what's important, brothers and sisters. And make sure you're doing that. We need a Joseph generation. And by that I mean a generation of dreamers. Surely. Surely. As some of you are sitting around, you're getting that little vision. That little vision. I knew... When I was a junior in high school and shooting baskets one day and praying a little bit, I knew then God called me to preach. And I'm like, I'll never do that. I want no part of that. God showed me differently. What little bit of a dream has God given you? What part of that legacy, what part of this dream has God given you, you see? You know, you think about the great dream. 1961, this church started. In through the, in through the 80s. Which led, you know, a lot of thought, thought and growth led us to now, into the 90s. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? The sky's the limit. I always thought it'd be awesome if the buildings were combined someday. I'm, I'm weird like that. I sit around and I'll think about, you know, 40 years from now, if I, could, if I was gone and could come back, well, I'd like to see if the, the church was doing I'd like to see the buildings combined. I'd like to see a ton of people here. I'd like to, but most of all, most of all, what I would like to see, what all of that matters, I wish it was the, the most beautiful thing in the world. I wish it looked good. I wish the lights were brighter so I could see with my bad eyes. 
I wish everything was great, but you know what? All of that wouldn't mean anything unless when whoever it is got up here to stand and preach, opened up the Word of God and preached the truth, brothers and sisters. That is the main thing that we must always keep the main thing. All the other stuff is good and we need to work at it and we need to do more so we can attract more in, but let's never depart from the main thing. If we do that, we'll be fine. We've got to keep that going. So again, watch your part. Preachers. We need preachers. Surely God's calling some people to preach. I never much was much of a preacher. Now I'm getting too old to do it. Bob's younger than me, but he's not a spry little fellow either. Surely God's calling some people to preach. We need more teachers. I'm so thankful to see David stand up teaching an awesome job. We need more. What is your part? If God has brought you here, He's given you a part. What is it? And are you doing that part? It might not be a big thing, but there's a part. And are you doing it? you got a part in that dream you see. Again, to still see it going. That's the main thing. I want you to, now let's get to you personally for a minute. Your legacy. Here's ways to think about your legacy a little bit. What would somebody say at your funeral? You know, I've done a ton of funerals. And I've done some good funerals and some bad funerals. People can say, how could you do a good funeral? I told somebody a while back I had a bad or sad funeral. They said, well, aren't all funerals sad? I said, this one was sad for different reasons. I've done good funerals and I've done bad funerals. You know what I consider a good funeral to be? Here's a good funeral. When you go sit with the family and you say, hey, you know, I knew mom, dad, sister, whoever it was. You know, you knew them. But you say, tell me some stories. Let's talk about them. Things that, you know, I might want to mention. And even though they're heartbroken, they laugh and they cry and they fill your ears with story after story after story. So much that I think, man, if I try to cover all that, I'll be up there three hours. But you laugh and you cry and you hear all those great stories and it's a wonderful thing because you think, what a great, gracious legacy and memory those people have. And I've done some really, what a bad funeral is, is when I went and sat with family members. Can you tell me a little bit about your mom? Tell me a little bit about your dad or brother. Says, well, they were a good worker. They were, they were honest. And you, I'm thinking, man, if I get up there, I'll be lucky to be up there five minutes. That's sad. Again, what are you like? Kind of a legacy are you leaving? I've literally, I won't name names, but I've literally talked with families before I've done funerals before. And I've had, when I went through and just wrote my own things I knew and wrote all the things the family told me, I've had five or six pages of stuff. Kind of writing it down. And I've had to throw about four of them away because I knew I'd never get through it. That's a good funeral when somebody leaves a memory like that. That's what you want, you see. That's what, that's what a, a good funeral is. What about if somebody had to describe your legacy for one word? What would it be? How about Godliness. How about love? How about family? Generous? 
And I've heard, but what about these? And I've heard some of these too lately because I said I've done a couple bad funerals lately. Selfish, materialistic, abusive, caused a lot of pain. How do you want, if people had to summarize you in one little word or phrase, how do you want them to summarize you? What would they say? You see, you're painting that picture every day. It's like an artist painting on a canvas, making a stroke or two every day. And you don't know when you're going to leave that. You may have plans. I'm going to make this, my picture's been ugly. I'm going to make it a lot prettier. You don't know when the last day you're going to put that last stroke on the canvas is. But what you've painted so far is what what you're leaving. And that's what people are going to remember you by. The last big question is, on this part, are you spending your life on, your, on you and yours? Think about it. Spending. I want you to think about that word spending. In other words, is your life all about you and yours? And by yours, I mean maybe your wife and your family. It's all about us. We're great. We live great. We take trips. We go here. We go there. We got a great house. We got this. We got that. Is it all about you and yours? Are you spending your life? Because brothers and sisters, if you spend your life selfishly on you and yours, at the end of your life, nobody's going to care about you and yours. Because you didn't have an impact on anybody else anyway. Here's the other question. Though. Are you investing your life in other people? Are you investing your life in other people? That's the thing you need to ask yourself. Are you investing your life in other people? I was talking about talking about James there a minute ago. He used to tease me when he'd come and sit with my grandpa. I was 12 or 13 years old and I'd be out there on the porch with him on Miller Manor. He'd say, Hey, Tony, you skinny thing. He'd say, one of these days when you're preaching, I'll give you some advice. I'm like, I'd say, I ain't preaching. So after I'd announced my calling to preach, he called me. He said, you probably thought I was kidding, didn't you? But he took some time to invest in me. And when I was down at Zion... And through some pretty rough times getting that going, what a help he was to me. What a help. I would have never made it if it wasn't for him. Are you investing in other people? Can somebody ever look back at you and say, hey, you know, you want somebody to look back and say, that person had an impact on me. That person poured into my life. That's what this is about. Or what Bobby's mentioned what's on our wall. Loving God, living Jesus, learning to serve. Those last two especially, living Jesus and learning to serve. That's all about investing in people. Jesus invested in people and gave His life for us. Learning to serve is serving others. And you can't just say, I love God, if you're not doing the other two. Because if you're not, if you're not doing the other two, you're really not loving God. That's how they all work together. Are you investing your life or are you spending it? All on you, you see. Has God's dream for your life shifted you at all? I love what Bobby said the last couple of times he's preached, talking about, you know, if you've gotten saved, has it changed your life? Has it made a difference in your life? If it is not, if following God and accepting Him as your Lord and Savior has not made a difference in your life, I'll just say it plainly. I don't think you're really saved. 
You need to re-examine that. Because it changes. You might be the best person in the world. Getting saved will still change your life. You can be the worst person in the world. Getting saved will change your life. Well, how can you say that, Tony? What if you're so good that you don't really need to change, change anything? Well, we, Andy just did a great job this morning teaching us about a man called Elisha. Twelve yoke of oxen. A pretty wealthy man. Pretty good man from all we know. When Elijah came and cast the mantle on him, you know what he did? He took his oxen and he slew them. He burned his plows and sacrificed them. He said, I ain't going back to that. I got something else to do. When Jesus Christ saved your soul, that becomes the primary driver in your life. I remember a couple times I talked about malls. My mom was probably, those two ladies together are probably the smartest two women that's ever lived. I remember a couple times after I played basketball Friday or Saturday night at Kent Ridge or even at Wittenberg. Sunday morning, I'd, if, it was, if I was in town, I'd be driving them all to church. She'd say, oh, so you, you scored 25 last night? Sometimes she was at the game, sometimes she wasn't. It's like, yeah, mall had a good game. She'd always say, you realize what's important, don't you, Tom? Don't you? I'd say, yes, Maul, I really do. It ain't that. And I think all of you heard her say one time, was right after I got my master's degree, she stood over here and said, I'm proud of Tony, but all he ever knew, he knew long before he ever got that degree, the most important thing. She kept me grounded. She kept me pointed the right way. That's legacy. That's direction. That's meaning. You see. And it changes your life. And all the stuff I ever accomplished and all the stuff I'm still accomplishing and everything else, brothers and sisters, I count it all rubbish for the fact that Jesus Christ saved my soul as a 10-year-old boy and I've got my, a place in heaven. All the rest of it don't mean anything. That means everything. To say. I've always said, I like, you know, I love that movie for love of the game. And when the guy, when Chappie's talking about his dad, telling the lady about his dad, he says, two things that she's, tell me about your dad. He says, she says, he loved baseball and he loved my mom. I thought, you know, that's pretty good. I hope people say about me, he loved the Lord, loved Missy, he loved his kids. If that's all they say, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. In that order. Two. You have to have faith with your dream, brothers and sisters. You have to have faith with it. These guys are going to get to use their watches. They haven't used them for a while. You have to have faith with your dream. Faith, brothers and sisters, does three things. Faith sees. Faith sees beyond the natural realm. Faith... Faith looks beyond what this natural eye can see. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. People say, well, convince me that there's a heaven. I can't convince you that there's a heaven, but you know what? I've got a little taste of it in my soul, brothers and sisters, and I know for sure that there is one. There is. Faith speaks. People talked about their dream. 
I bet a couple people, those charter members, started talking about their dream. That's how they ended up with 20 of them. That's how the church grew, and that's how we are here now. Because they talked about the dream, and they talked about what God had done for them. We need to do that too. And faith steps, brothers and sisters. Faith walks. Faith takes action. A lot of people think, faith is just what I believe. No, that's not the biblical definition of faith. Faith takes action. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. By faith. Faith means you step out on those beliefs. A lot of you may be sitting, well, I know if I exercise and ate right, I'd probably be, I believe I'd be in better health. But if you never exercise or you never eat right, it don't matter what you believe. You can sit back and say, I believe in Jesus. I believe He was the Son of God. I believe that. But if you don't act on it, accept Him as your Lord and Savior, and then let it change your life, brothers and sisters, it is meaningless to you too. The devils believe and tremble. Just sitting back and saying, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. That does you nothing. You've got to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Take up your cross daily and follow Him. It changes your life. It changes your direction. It becomes a priority. It becomes the, whole, the thing that leads your life. You see. And lastly, you've got to invest. You've got to invest in that dream. Most of all. You know, Joseph was a ruler in Egypt. I want you to think about this. I told you he was a rock star there. He was popular. He was second. Egypt would have perished if it wasn't for Joseph. He was a hero. He had thousands of people that would have done whatever at his beck and call. But when it came time to leave his legacy and give his dying wishes, he didn't call servants. He didn't call Egyptians. He called his family. He called his sons and his grandsons and gave them direction, the orders concerning his bones. That family, brothers and sisters, it's blood. For us, it's blood and it's spirit. You know, that's a great thing, isn't it? I've got some folks here, my own kids and a few cousins and so forth, aunt, blood relatives. I love my blood family. We do anything for each other. But you know what? I got a lot of spiritual family here too. Who I'd do anything for and who'd do anything for me. That's what this message is about. That's what we've got to invest in each other, brothers and sisters, because we're family. You see, we're family. And we've got to we've got to make sure that we're invested in that. We've got to invest in each other. We've got to invest in the children. That's why the gospel's got to be preached. That's what I was talking about your kid. And I guess maybe I should have preached to parents today because it's been on my mind a few different times. Parents, let me tell you this. It is not the church's job to raise your children. It is not the school's job to raise your children. It is your job to religiously educate and bring up your children and teach them about God. It's, we got it in our covenant. It's in the Word of God. So again, you know, so well, I take them to Sunday school. They're learning all that stuff. I don't need to spend any time with them. Yes, you do. Yesterday, well, everybody's here but Lynn's today. Yesterday at home was the first time all of us have been together at home for probably since Christmas. Yesterday afternoon. So you know what I did? Hey guys, and I was I was busy as everything. And stuff in fact I'm still busy. I got a ton of stuff to do. You know what I did? I said family meeting time. They're like, oh God. <laughs> 
And we sit down and we talked a little bit about priorities and we prayed. And then we went and played rook and all got mad at each other. But that's a <laughs> But that's part of the fun too. Part of that together. That's the legacy, brothers and sisters. Take ownership for your family and your kids and don't depend on somebody else to do it. Joseph, you know, it talks there about, in the King James Version, it talks about his, when he's talking about Maker and Ephraim's sons being raised on his knee. That means they were, Joseph was close to them. You might say, I've raised my kids. If you got grandkids, invest in them too. My mom invested in me. My grandma invested in me. My grandpa invested in me. And I didn't tell you after he told me, he went after the last conversation I had with him, which I didn't know was the last conversation. I told you he ended that when he said, well, he's, you know, if mom wants to go to church, will you take her? I said, yeah. I said, anything else I need to do? He's like, just one thing, son. He said, remember who you are and whose you are, and I love you. That is priceless. If he had left me a million bucks, it wouldn't have meant more than what that did. What are you leaving? What are you leaving for your kids? I told you he'd be using his watch. <coughs> We're getting close to the summary right now. God's got a big dream for you. You were formed in the womb. When God formed you in the womb, He had a dream for you. You know what that biggest part of that first part of that dream was? That you would come to accept Him as your Lord and Savior and be able to spend an eternity with Him in heaven. Have you done that? Are you here this morning? Have you never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That is the first part of that great big dream He's got for you. Accepting Him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you have been saved, but you've been beat down and you're like, I don't even want to dream anymore. Keep on dreaming. God's still got a big dream for you. You know, if anybody, I could, you, it's, whenever you hear me pull up Joseph, it's bad because I could preach all day on Joseph. If anybody ever had a reason to quit dreaming, it was Joseph. His brothers betrayed him and throwed him in a pit. When he got to Potiphar's house, he did well, but then he was betrayed. When he got into the prison, the prisoners forgot about him. But there's always a couple verses after each of those instances. When people, when his brothers threw him in the pit, when he was betrayed at Potiphar's wife, when the other prisoners forgot about him, a couple verses later you can always say, but God was with Joseph in the prison. But God was with Joseph in the pit. Praise God, in the pit, in the prison, God will always be with you. That's the great big thing, brothers and sisters, and that's the best part of that dream is that God will always be with you, you see. Joseph dreamed his entire life, 110 years, and didn't stop. If you trust in Jesus, brothers and sisters, one day your faith will end in sight. I think we've got about five ad hoc song leaders. leaders. Somebody get one. If you're here this morning, a couple quick things for the invitation. Number one, number one, I knew John would do it. He's been assisting me since Kenton Ridge. <laughs> Dishing out, throwing dimes so I could put it in the bucket. Anyway, 
if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, come and accept Him. Like I said, Bob's preached his heart out, given the Gospel to you. You need to accept Him. Start leaving a godly legacy today. You cannot leave a godly legacy if you don't accept Jesus. God's calling to you somebody. I know He is. Just like Bob said, accept Him today. Second part of that invitation is, if you are here this morning and you know God's given you a part of that dream, To keep going on and working for Him. Are you doing that part? What's He called you to do? Acknowledge it. Accept it. And get involved with it. Brothers and sisters, you can spend your life on yourself and you'll end up pretty sad and lonely. Invest your life in others and it will come back tenfold. While we stand and sing one verse of a song.